Good morning and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a a number of things I'm going to share with you this morning, and after I'm finished, the children are going to come up and present their Christmas program. So I ask that we just dig right in and so that you would all take your Bibles as we begin and turn with me to chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, and that you would please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word today. This morning I'll be reading the very familiar passage from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Part of this is what uh, Linus read to Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas. So, um, Luke 2, beginning at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Lord, this is a very familiar passage for, for probably all of us. As we look at it today, Lord, and as we look at it in the context of the hymn, Joy to the World, Lord, I pray that you might open up our eyes to, to see you anew, Maybe to see the Christmas story in ways we haven't seen before, Lord. Reveal yourself to us today through your word. (coughs) And Lord, as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we lit our third Advent candle today, which is the shepherd's candle, or the candle of joy. And we call it the candle of joy specifically because the message the angel gave to the shepherds was a message of good news, of great joy. A message that a Savior had been born to them, who was Christ the Lord. I think we all want to experience joy in our lives, don't we? Anybody here doesn't want to experience joy? Don't see, I'm going to put my hand down because I want to. But many times what the world is trying to sell us on is happiness instead of joy. And when you consider that happiness seems to be the main goal for the world, it seems very surprising that the Bible doesn't talk much about the subject of happiness. But the Bible does say a lot about something that's often confused with happiness. The Bible teaches a lot about joy. And the kind of joy that the Bible talks about goes goes much deeper than mere happiness. And unfortunately, most people don't realize that there is a big, big difference between happiness and joy. 
What is the root word for the word happiness? Most people think it would be happy. I thought that too. You would naturally think that. But happiness and happy actually share the same root or concept and meaning as the word happen. So happiness and happy are actually based on what is happening in our lives. Our happiness depends on our circumstances, and our circumstances, let's face it, are constantly changing. In fact, for most people, happiness is nothing more than a reaction to whatever favorable circumstances they might find themselves in at any given moment. But once those favorable circumstances change, their happiness can fade away pretty quickly. Genuine joy, on the other hand, doesn't depend on what's happening in our lives. Joy is is an inner sense of well-being that has nothing to do with our circumstances. The kind of joy the Bible describes can't be found in our possessions or in entertainment or even, uh, as some people like to do, looking deeply into ourselves. The first line of the hymn, Joy to the World, sums it up for us. There is one reason and one reason only that we can find joy in our world. As the song says, we can have joy because the Lord has come. And that's the hymn we're going to look at this morning. We just sang it together, Joy to the World. If you want to, you can turn your hymn books back to hymn number 270 and follow along. I'm not going to have the words up on the screen this week. The four verses we have in our hymn book are the four verses of the hymn, as far as I know. I don't know that there are any more. Did you know, though, that when Isaac Watts originally wrote the words to this, he never intended it to be used as a hymn or even a song, especially not a Christmas hymn? In 1719, Watts published a book of poems in which each poem was based on one of the Psalms. And in his poems, he wanted to show how the Psalms in the Old Testament related to how Jesus was revealed as the Savior of the world in the New Testament. And one of those poems was based on Psalm 98. That's the reason I chose to use that as our scripture reading together this morning. And Watts interpreted this psalm to be a celebration of Jesus' role as both king of the church and king of the world. He intended the words of his poem to emphasize, actually, more the return of Christ than the birth of Christ as he was writing it. I don't think Watts ever knew that the poem he wrote became one of his most famous hymns when more than a century later, a man from Boston, a music teacher named Lowell Mason, found his poem and put it to music. And because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a very favorite hymn of the Christmas season. But again, Watts never wrote it, thinking that it would be sung at all, much less sung at Christmas time. He wrote it as a, psalm, as a song, a poem, I'm sorry, based on Psalm 98. With that in mind, the first verse of the song says... Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And again, that's why we call the shepherd's candle the candle of joy, because that was the message that the angel brought to the shepherds out on that hillside that night when they were watching their sheep. He said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great happiness that will be for all the people. 
Wait a minute, is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. See, people throughout the world are looking for happiness in their lives when they could be experiencing real joy instead. That's the message of Christmas. True joy can be yours through a relationship with this child who was born, with this son who was given. If you receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, he gives you joy. In the same way that your body uh, craves food and exercise and rest, so your spirit craves a relationship with holy God. Without that relationship, your soul will become famished and you will be very restless. I believe that as Pascal said many years ago, there is indeed a a God-shaped vacuum in every life. And if we look deeply within ourselves, we're not going to find happiness. But we will find that space that only God can fill. And if we try and fill it with anything else besides God, we're not going to be satisfied. That's why the first verse of Joy to the World teaches that there is joy when the Lord is received. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Now, historically, we know that not everyone was joyful when Jesus was born. In fact, a man named King Herod was anything but joyful when the Magi came from the east, inquiring about the birthplace of some new king. To Herod, Jesus was a threat. Herod was already so paranoid about someone trying to take away his throne that he had murdered three of his own sons. He was not about to let any rival king come and take his throne, even if it was just an infant. So you all know the story. Herod had every infant boy, two years old or younger, that were anywhere in the vicinity of Bethlehem, killed. Because he didn't want that rival to live. But Joseph had been warned by an angel to take Mary and the baby and to flee to Egypt, and they did, so the child was spared. In a similar way to Herod, many people today still reject Jesus as their king. To them, Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to their plans. They see Jesus as a threat to their individual freedoms, to their passions, to their pride, to their greed. Because if they accept what the Bible has to say about Jesus and they accept that that is true, then they know that they can't continue on in their lives of selfishness and sin if they turn to Jesus for forgiveness. And sadly, because they won't turn around and receive Jesus as their Savior, they never experience true joy in their lives. Rejecting Jesus as your king is rejecting the joy that the world is really searching for. I think of how different Herod was from the wise men. While Herod saw Jesus as a threat, the wise men saw Jesus as a king. They saw him as a gift from God, and they came to worship him. The first verse ends with the repeated phrase, and heaven and nature sing. That comes straight out of Psalm 98, which we read together this morning. Psalm 98, which is what Watts based his poem on. Listen to some of these words and see if they don't resound with the chorus of let heaven and nature sing. In the middle of the psalm, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. 
A little further down, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Indeed, let heaven and nature sing. And even though Watts never really intended this to be a a Christmas carol or hymn, we see the heavens sing in the passage that we read earlier. As the sky opened up and the heavenly chorus sang, Glory to God in the highest. The heavens sang the praises of the newborn king. The second verse of Joy to the World says this, (coughs) Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and, and plains repeat the sounding joy. See, receiving Christ in our hearts is the all-important first step, right? Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room from the first verse. But then we need to go on and actually let him reign as the king of our lives. While Jesus was living here on the earth, he came across large crowds of people who were ready and willing to make him their king. But they weren't really ready to let Jesus take charge the way he wanted to. They wanted him to do things their way, not his way. And I'm sorry, but in a kingdom, the king has the final say. And many in Jesus' day wanted Jesus to come in and take over and drive the Romans out. That's the kind of king they were looking for. But Jesus didn't come to reign over the Romans. Jesus came to reign in our hearts. There are a lot of people today who are more than willing to receive all the good things that Christ wants to offer them. But they don't want him to rule as king over their work ethic or, or maybe their entertainment or the language they use when they're under pressure or even their public image. They don't want Jesus to be in charge of where they live or who they date or who they marry or even what kind of career they choose. <coughs> if you try to receive Jesus without letting him reign in your life, guess what? You're going to miss out on the joy that comes from receiving Christ and allowing him to be the king of your life. Because things like indecisiveness and hypocrisy can actually zap the joy right out of life. And there will come a time when you'll realize that you may be fooling everyone else, but you're not fooling yourself and you're certainly not fooling the Lord. Jesus knows if he is the king of your life or not. Satan says, follow me and I'll make you happy. And sin promises us happiness. But in the end, sin only brings about sorrow and disappointment. If you think back, Satan promised Adam and Eve that eating the forbidden fruit would make them wise, would make them like God, in turn would make them happy. Instead, sin brought a horrible curse and unending regret. That's the way it's been ever since. That's what Watts is referring to in the third verse when he says, as far as the curse is found. Sin has brought a bitter curse. It's how it's always been and how it will be until Jesus comes again. And that's really what Watts was looking to in this hymn was Christ's Second coming, I should say in the poem he wrote, and that is Christ's second coming. And if we never give up control of our lives to the Lord, we're never going to experience the joy that is promised to us. 
when we try to do everything ourselves, by our own power, through earthly, worldly guidance, the best we will ever be is temporarily happy. It's only when we allow Christ to reign in our lives as the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we will have that joy that the angel promised to the shepherds. So what are we called to do as followers of Jesus? We do as the chorus of the second verse says, even though Steve said it's not a chorus, it's a repeated phrase, so I shouldn't call it a chorus. But that repeated phrase at the end of the second verse says, we repeat the sounding joy of knowing the king of the universe, the joy of allowing him to reign in our lives, the joy of being forgiven of our sins and having new life through faith in Christ. Our passage says that the shepherds went out that night and they shared with everyone they came across about what they had seen and heard. In the same way, we are called to repeat to everyone we come across the reason why we are so filled with joy. And that reason is because the Lord has come. So we too, along with the fields and floods, the rocks, hills, and plains, we too repeat the sounding joy of knowing the one who reigns in our lives. The third verse says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This verse takes us right back to the place where mankind entered into sin. When Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the curse of sin came upon them and then through them to every other person who's ever been born. I should say every other person besides the baby lying in the manger, right? He's the one who came to take care of that sin and to bring us joy. But this verse says, no more let sin and sorrow grow. This baby who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, as we confess in the creed, was born to take away the sins of the world. He is the answer to the problem of sin and sorrow that was introduced to us back in Genesis chapter 3. Part of that curse was that the ground would produce thorns and thistles. And Adam and everyone following in his footsteps would have to contend with them and all the ramifications of that sin nature. Anybody here have a garden and never have to pull a weed? I want to meet you, because it's part of the sin nature, right? It's part of the sin nature. <coughs> Excuse me. But the angel told the shepherds that he came with good news of great joy that would be for all the people. The good news is that the Savior had been born, the one who would take care of the sins of the whole world, not, not just for the shepherds, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all people. As the song says, as far as the curse is found. And as far as the curse is found, there can be joy when any sinner repents of his sin and turns back to Jesus, receives him in his heart, and lets him reign in his life. There's a famous story of a, of a believer in Zimbabwe, Africa. And he tried to give a New Testament to a man who was very, how can I put this in a, in a nice way, disgruntled. Um, wasn't a pleasant man. So this disgruntled man told the believer, if you give that to me, 
I'm just going to tear out the pages and use them to roll my cigarettes. The Christian replied, I understand. But at least promise me. Promise me that uh, you'll read each page before you tear it out and roll it up and smoke it. The disgruntled man said, all right, I'll do that. And they went their separate ways. Fifteen years later, the same two men met at a Christian convention in Zimbabwe, and this disgruntled man had found Christ. He was now a full-time evangelist, and he was actually the guest speaker at the convention. And he shared that story from the podium. He shared with the audience, yeah, I smoked Matthew and Mark and Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, he said, I couldn't smoke no more. He said, my life changed from that moment on. Again, there is joy when any sinner repents of his sin and turns to Jesus and lets the Lord reign in his heart. The fourth verse says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. This last verse tells why Jesus brings joy. Joy comes because Jesus rules with a perfect balance of truth and grace. You see, sometimes, sometimes truth isn't very gracious. When I hear someone say, and I've heard this before, well, I just told it to them like it is. Just told it like it is. I know that they very possibly just offended someone by going really heavy on the truth and really, really light on the grace. There's an old saying that says that truth without love is dogmatism. That love without truth is sentimentality. But truth with love, is true Christianity. Jesus brings joy because he is the perfect balance of truth and grace. And the proof of his righteousness and love will be found in the people and the nations who allow him to reign and who exhibit true joy because they let him reign in their lives. Watt says that the nations will prove the glory of God's righteousness and the wonders of his love. Our love for God and our love for each other is the best witness to the world of the love that God has for us. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is what he said. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, he said, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, the wonders of his love. Is God's love something to wonder at? I think it is. To think that the God of the universe, the one who created everything that we see, still loves us even though we turned away from him in sin and disobedience. Even when we didn't trust his word, he still offers forgiveness and reconciliation because he loves us. We're told at the end of the passage that we read in Luke 2 that um, Mary treasured up all of these things and, and, and pondered them in her heart. Another way to say that is that she wondered. 
She wondered about all that had happened ever since the angel first came to her to give her the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God. Even though she was still a virgin, that this would happen. She wondered about all that the, that the shepherds had shared with her and Joseph that night. And I'm sure that she also wondered about their lives moving forward as they would be the parents of this one who would come to save his people from their sins. All because of the love that God has for his creation. Indeed, the love of God is something we should wonder at. So what do we do with this message of Christmas joy? And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're one of those people who's never really experienced joy at Christmas. Maybe you let all the trappings and gifts and decorations and parties stress you out and keep you from truly experiencing the joy that the angel promised. If that's you, then I've got some good news for you today. You can experience true joy this Christmas and throughout the world as well. The good news is simply this. God loves you. Just like he loved those shepherds. And you are special to him, just like those shepherds were special to him. In fact, they were so special that he gave them the incredible privilege of being the first to hear of Christ's birth. The privilege of being the first people, other than Joseph and Mary, to lay their eyes on the Son of God lying in the manger. And then having the privilege of being the first ones to tell others about Christ. He didn't give those privileges to Caesar or to the Jewish high priest or to any religious leaders. He gave it to the shepherds, not in spite of who they were, but because of who they were. Just humble, ordinary men with no high opinion of themselves. They were simple people who were willing to simply believe what God had told them and do what God had commanded them. And when they heard the news, they simply accepted what the angel told them. When they were invited to go to Bethlehem to see the newborn Savior, they didn't worry about who was going to watch their sheep. They didn't get bogged down in debates about how they're going to find one small baby with so many people in town for the census. They simply obeyed and they went, trusting God to take care of the details. Can you do that? Can you do that today? Can you trust God to take care of all the details? God didn't send an angel to you today to give you the news. But he didn't send me. And he gave you his holy word, the Bible. And God is inviting you today, just like he invited the shepherds. Come and see. Come and see the one born for you. The one who will take away all of your sins. The one who will give you true joy. What will your focus be this Christmas? Will you focus on all the things that might bring you temporary happiness? Or will you focus on the only one who can bring you true joy? We can all experience joy in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the shopping and traffic, the parties and, and planning and cleaning, the, the traveling and the guests. We can all experience true joy in the midst of all of that when we focus on the one lying in the manger, the one who was born into the world to be our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, who was the true meaning of Christmas joy. 
Again, from our passage this morning, the shepherds went out after witnessing the baby that the angel had told them about, and they went out and they shared with anyone who would listen about the good news of the Savior being born. There are still so many in our world today who need to hear this message as well, so they too can experience the joy that comes through having faith in Jesus Christ. They need to understand that this baby lying in the manger came as the Christ, the chosen one of God, the one who had been promised from long ago. They need to understand that Jesus is the only name men can call on to be saved. And they need to hear and understand that this baby lying in the manger is the Lord of all. He is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he will reign forever and ever, as Handel's Messiah tells us. He quotes that from the word of God. They need to hear this message that true joy, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, that true joy only comes from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me read those words to you. Peter wrote this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the message of good news of great joy that our world so needs to hear. And they need to hear it from us who know it, from us who have been saved by it, from us who are living by it today. What this means for us today is that we can all have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory because God became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. It means that we can have joy no matter what circumstances surround us. Because our joy comes from knowing Jesus and not from anything else. We can all have joy as we come to realize the real and lasting significance of that night in Bethlehem so long ago. And the impact that it has on each one of us for all of eternity. As we come to faith in Christ... As we grow in our faith in Christ, our joy will become full. And friends, that is a joy that no one, no one can ever take away from you. May you experience the joy of Christ this Christmas season. (coughs) I'm going to ask that you would bow and pray with me. Then we're going to sing our, our closing hymn about joy, another one, How Great Our Joy. And then we're going to sit back down and we're going to have the children come forward and they're going to present their Christmas program for us. But let's pray together first. Lord, I thank you for the message of the angel to the shepherds. The message of good news, of great joy. Not happiness, Lord, but joy. We can have joy because you have come to us. Oh Lord, help each one of us this Christmas season and throughout the year, Lord, to live in the joy that only comes through having faith in you as our Savior and Lord. And may we, Lord, see those around us the same way you see them, as people who need to hear that message as well, and give us the courage and the faith to share that message with them this Christmas season, Lord. (coughs) I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.